You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. This month is uh, July. Happy Independence Day. Everybody, happy Independence Day. Let's sing the Happy Independence Day song. Wait, that's the Star Spangled Banner. I don't want to do that. Um, sorry, I'm kind of rambling. This month's topic at Sunday School in July, we're going to be talking about apologetics. Apologetics is apologizing for why we are Christians. Just kidding. That's a joke. It is, it has, it's this Greek context of defending our faith, giving reason for our faith. And so in different ways, we're going to be doing that this month. We have a few guest speakers. I'm going to speak in a, in a couple weeks. And so um, how about I just introduce our speaker today, Daniel Grothy. Everyone know Daniel? Come on up, Daniel. Daniel, of course, is our Mill associate pastor. He's a really cool dude. He's spoken at Mill Sunday School a bunch, and uh, he's pretty awesome. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you, Joe. Daniel Grothy, everybody. Thank you, thank you. Good morning. Yes, happy 4th. Anyone got any plans tonight? Anyone watching a fireworks show? Anyone? Yeah? Does anyone not like fireworks? All right, little man. Okay. Uh, yeah, there, there's going to be people up here in the parking lot at 9 o'clock tonight uh, to watch the Air Force Academy fireworks show. So if you want to come up, there's going to be people with lawn chairs and I, I assume grills. And they'll be making food and watching the show. So feel free to come on up if you want. Um, yes, Daniel Grothy is my name. Uh, I'm married. For any of you who don't know, if you've heard me speak before, forgive me. Uh, I'm married uh, five years last week. Um, two little kids, Lillian's three, Wilson is ten months. Um, that's a girl and a boy, if you were wondering. And um, been working here at the church five years this week, actually. So been really great to be here and um, let's see anyone enjoying the World Cup yes man Deutschland is on fire huh who 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 thinks Germany's gonna win it okay who thinks España is going to win it okay who thinks uh, the Netherlands is going to win it Matthew okay I see that hand yeah it should be fun <laughs> Uruguay! Sorry. Didn't they get sent home, Joe? <laughs> oh, that's Paraguay, sorry. All right. Um, yes, this month is apologetics, defending our faith, why we believe what we believe as Christians. And so um, this week I'm going to be talking to you about, I'm not speaking next week, but this week that I have, I'm going to be talking about an apologetic for godly enjoyment. An apologetic for godly enjoyment. Um, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to talk about that over the next 30 minutes. Uh, I don't think... First, I want to frame the discussion because I think there's two poles uh, that we could swing to. Uh, two ends of the spectrum. Two different... Uh, points that we could arrive at and I, what I want to try to do today is balance in between these two and one of them would be the prosperity gospel that would be one end of the spectrum and the other end of the spectrum would be asceticism have you guys ever heard of the ascetics the um, so I'm going to just write that out here prosperity gospel that's an O. And asceticism. And I want to try to end up right in there today. Um, first off, to frame the discussion, I do not think that to be a Christian necessarily means that you will be rich. I also do not think that to be a Christian necessarily means you will be poor. Um, there are Christians who are rich because they are good businessmen or businesswomen and they know how to make money. Some people just know how to make money. Other people don't. Uh, so to be a Christian doesn't mean that you're going to be rich, but it also doesn't mean you're going to be broke. Uh, I also don't think life in God's kingdom is constant fun, that it's free of pain and suffering. Uh, if you read the body of Scripture, I think it's pretty plain that, uh, in fact, they, they tell us straight out, Jesus tells us, be prepared. Peter tells us in, in 1 Peter 4, 
look, if you're going to be a, a follower, be prepared. There will be hard times, but you will win. You will conquer. You will overcome because you are His. So um, I just want to frame it with that. But I also want to say that I do think we find a God who planned and who actively wills our enjoyment. Who from the beginning planned for us to enjoy life and who actively wills. I say actively because he's not distant and passive and pulled out of creation. He's in our lives. He's with us. He's in us. And so he did plan it from the beginning and I believe that he actively wills our enjoyment. So each of these poles here, these extremes, prosperity gospel and asceticism, if you look at them, you, you can't throw either one of them completely out. Both of them have some truth to it. Um, the prosperity gospel believes that God wants to bless us and God wants to pour it out on us and he wants to give us stuff. I mean, if you read the Old Testament, it's not hard to see God giving his people land and providing food for his people and helping his people conquer their enemies. I mean, God... God has taken care of his people from day one. Um, so there is truth in the prosperity gospel. And there is truth in asceticism, that there's a simplicity that we can live with, that there's a denial of ourselves that we can live with, that there's a, a, a discipline that we can live with. Uh, but if you take either one at its extreme, you're, you, you find yourself, I think, stuck. So I want to talk today about a theology of enjoyment. Um, and I really want to be positive today. I don't want, I don't want to be critique I don't want to be sarcastic. I don't want to attack anyone. By calling it a theology of enjoyment, I want to set something forth here rather than undo something that someone else has done. Does that make sense? So I'm not, I'm not trying to get up on a soapbox today and rip people up and down. I'm just merely trying to put out what I believe to be a solid theology of enjoyment that we can find in Scripture. First, I want to frame it with um, some historical background. There were these people called the Gnostics. And um, that would be G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. The Gnostics. Gnostics. And uh, Gnosis is a Greek word and it means, does anyone know? To know. Knowledge. Um, and the Gnostics, they believed that the God of the New Testament could not have created the world, for the world is matter, it's physical, and matter is the seat of all evil, is what the Gnostics would have said. That, that anything fleshly, anything that you can touch, anything that is created, anything that's fleshly is bad. It's the seat of evil. So kill it, deny it, stay away from it. It's all bad. Another point concerning Jesus with the Gnostics and it caused a lot of discord, was that they did not accept that Jesus was born of a virgin. Because flesh is bad, right? So how could God become flesh? So what they had to do was, they had to say that Mary and Joseph had sex, and got pregnant, and had a baby. And at the point that the baby came out, Jesus came and inhabited this, skeleton, this body. But he, he would refuse to go through the process of being conceived and going through the process of being born. He came and inhabited flesh after the fact. Um, that's what the Gnostics said because e matter is evil. And so it's kind of a, kind of a wild, uh, out there kind of a, an idea, but because of their belief that all flesh is evil, you see why they have to kind of bend over backwards to, to make these things up. It, it, 1 Timothy 4, let's start there. 1 Timothy 4.1. And it says, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. And here's the key. Which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. I love that right there. Verse 3, they forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth, 
And then it goes on to say, for everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. I think this is where we can anchor our theology of enjoyment. And we're going to read a lot of scripture today. But you see that right here in in, uh, 1 Timothy 4, Paul is saying, look, these people who are trying to forbid you from marrying and, and enjoying food, they've got it all wrong. These Gnostics, are, they're missing the point. God created it for you to enjoy with a spirit of thanksgiving. I, thank you, Keith. Um, Alright, so I think there is a distinguishing point that we need to make here. The difference between self-indulgence and receiving a gift. Self-indulgence is wrong. Nowhere in Scripture will you find uh, anyone holding up self-indulgence and, and just live for yourself and do whatever you want and, and take care of number one. That is not in Scripture. But all throughout Scripture, you do, do see them talking about receiving with thanksgiving the gifts that God gives us. So, I'm just setting that out to start. I'm not saying do whatever feels good. But I am saying what, what God has provided, don't turn it down in the name of trying to be holy. Receive the gift. Sex with anyone who is willing is indulgence and it's bad. But sex with the one spouse that God has given you as a gift is beautiful. It's, a, it's holy. It's, it's precious. It's to be received with gratefulness. So there's a, there's a difference here between indulgence and receiving a gift. Self-indulgence is, is uh, if, if we were to live that way, it would be sort of a Christian hedonism. <laughs> Anyone ever heard the word hedonism? It's basically just seeking pleasure for yourself. And so I'm not advocating a Christian hedonism today. I'm advocating receiving gifts. You know, I've been thinking this week, what are these gifts? What are these gifts that God gives us? And, and I'm not going to be able to exhaust them. It's impossible. But I have been asking the question, you know, some of the things that I wrote down, family, relationships, friends, people, human beings, food, nature. I mean, has anyone seen these mountains over here? That is a gift from God. And, and, and if, we're, if we're to be these Christian ascetics, we would not look at them and we go, deny, 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 deny. You know, self-discipline. They're not there, they're not there. Stop looking. No, God wants us to look out these windows over here and explode with gratefulness. And because it turns us upward, we know that nobody created the, these mountains. We know that we could never do it. We know that we could never undo them. When we see these mountains, we are forced to face a beautiful God or to go, ah, la, 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 la. He doesn't exist. Nope, nope, nope. Something just happened a long time ago and then this just was the accident result. And Family, food, nature, creation, conversation... I guarantee you everyone in here has sat up on, on a couch late one into the night when you should have been sleeping, but because of this person that's sitting across from you, you love them so much, the conversation has just gripped you, you stay up and you talk. We actually can receive pleasure from words, from talking with people, from, from engaging in conversation. Reading. Does anyone just ever lose track of time when you're reading a book? Does anyone ever not want to put a book down? That's a gift from God. Gardening. <laughs> I'm sure a ton of you in here garden. <laughs> but there's a reason why old people sit outside all day long and trim back weeds. It's fun. <laughs> I was cutting my lawn yesterday just rejoicing. I know it's, it's kind of stupid, but it's, I love being outside. The, the, one of the greatest smells in all of the world, is freshly cut grass to me. And, and I'm out there going, God, thank you for this yard that I can cut. Uh, it sounds stupid, but I was enjoying this gift that God has given me. And uh, I don't think it's to be overlooked. Music. Does anyone just love listening to music? 
uh, it's a gift. One of my favorite things to do with Lisa, Lisa, she just walked in. Give everyone a shout out. She's back there in the back with our babies. Uh, hey, baby. How are you? So, yeah, one of our favorite things to do is go in our backyard. We have these birch trees that kind of line our backyard. And it closes us off, kind of. It feels like we actually, we live in suburbia in Briargate, but it feels like we actually have a little space. And we go lay in the hammock right under the birch trees and listen to the trees. It is, it's a part of heaven. It's a, it's a foretaste of glory divine, that hammock. And uh, simple stuff. Lisa and I laid on the trampoline last night. We just bought a trampoline last week because we've got these kids who need something to do and I like jumping on trampolines. So we bought a trampoline. We put the kids down. They were asleep. Lisa and I go in the backyard. We're just laying on the trampoline talking and it was looking up at the stars. And It didn't cost a lot. We aren't, we aren't crazy rich people. But we felt like we were the richest people alive last night. Just thanking God for our kids who we had a great day playing with. They're asleep in their beds and we're out enjoying conversation. These are gifts that God has given us and it is our job to enjoy them. We would be foolish. We would be slapping Him in the face to not receive the gifts that He gives us with gratefulness. This is not a theology of possessions. This is a theology of receiving. It, it, and it's not even material stuff, necessarily. It, sometimes it is, but it doesn't have to be. Lasting enjoyment, I would say, cannot be separated from sincere love for God. Lasting enjoyment cannot be separated from a sincere love for God. That's Wilson back there talking <laughs> feed that boy um, there is a pleasure that we can seek that's temporary but it will go away and that's not what we're shooting for that's not what I'm talking about today I heard this quote and it said the seeds of enjoyment grow most strongly in the soil of service the seeds of enjoyment grow most strongly in the soil of service Think about that in relation to serving God. The seeds of enjoyment grow most strongly in the soil of serving God. This is not, the goal is not to seek enjoyment. The goal is to seek God and you wake up finding yourself enjoying life. It's the Matthew 6.33 thing that Jesus was talking and he said, look, don't, don't go after all these things. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek God's righteousness. Seek relationship with Him first. And by the way, all these things will be added to you. But when we go for all these things first and then try to backfill it with service for God, it doesn't work. Seek first knowing Him, serving Him, loving Him, doing justly, loving mercy, walking humbly with your God dot, 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 and all these things will come. They will be added. J.I. Packer, a great theologian, said, look, you love God and you find yourself happy. You love God and you find yourself happy. It goes far deeper than this idea of eat, drink, and be merry. Enjoyment is not... Uh, in, indulging, just just trying to consume life on yourself. <laughs> Hello, Wilson. John Cobb Jr. Listen to this quote. This is a great quote. John Cobb Jr. said, There can be no higher goal than to contribute to God's enjoyment. But there can be no tension between contributing to God's enjoyment and contributing to the enjoyment of God's creatures. There's no tension there. So he's saying, first and foremost, we have to live to please God. But then he says, there's no tension between pleasing God and also making other people's lives better, bringing enjoyment for them. Does that make sense? So the two kind of serving other people feeds into pleasing God. 
and there's no tension between the two. Studies have shown, people have really studied, what makes people happy? What brings joy to people? Are there factors that, that are common across the board that we can identify that end up in people being happy and enjoying life? And this, these studies invariably come back saying that a primary function of enjoyment is good relations with family, neighbors, and the immediate community within which one lives. That's pretty simple. It didn't say anything about yearly family vacations, though those are great, and fight for them. But one of the, the three common denominators that they have found in these studies is good relations with family, good relations with the people that you live next to, your neighbors, and then good relations with the people that are in the community that you relate to. That, they're, they're saying in these studies that if people have that, Generally, they're happy regardless of how much money they make or what they have or where they live. Anyone following the free agency drama in the NBA? Jordan Haley is. I know he is. I am too, a little bit. I, I, I was telling my wife the other night this, this free agency thing. Does everyone know what free agency is? Someone gets to the end of their contract, with, like LeBron James. He gets to the end of his contract with the Cleveland Cavaliers and then he gets to be a free agent and gets shopped to all these other teams. And basically whoever's going to pay him the most, he's going to go to them. So all these old men are flying around on these private jets and coming to Ohio to sit down with LeBron James, who's 25 years old. And LeBron sits across the table with the sunglasses on and looks at him and says, what are you going to do for me? You know, basically. And these guys are trying to tell, tell LeBron why he needs to sign with their organization. And LeBron, all right, next. The New York Knicks walk in. Okay, next. The Bulls walk in. Okay, next. The Miami Heat walk in. Next. Cleveland Cavaliers, eh, next. And it's gross to me. It's, it's, it makes me want to throw up, honestly. The, the 25-year-old guy who's making $100 jillion is looking at these 60- and 70-year-old executives and... and he, he has them wrapped around his finger. And uh, it's just, it's about contracts and jets and money and status and being in the driver's seat. And I have a friend who plays for the Golden State Warriors and he, we grew up kindergarten through 12th grade. We played basketball together. We won a state championship together. He went on to Kentucky to play basketball, went out in his third year and has been playing in the NBA for four years. And I've kind of, I've been around with him and his peeps and there's not a lot of joy in that world. I don't make a whole lot of money but I certainly know that I have way more joy than any of those people. And I, one, of the, one of the examples that hit me the other night, we went to Red Robin after the mill on Friday night for Shindig. So new people come then we go out to Red Robin and hang out and talk and just have a great time getting to know new people. So we're sitting there, and there's this guy here at the mill called Rod Mendoza, and he plays bass. And Rod just turned 22 yesterday. So everyone went out Friday night afterwards to celebrate Rod's birthday and bottomless fries and water, you know? Like, hey, can I have a water and give me some bottomless fries? And, and so it's like a cheap date, you know? You go to Red Robin, you eat really nasty food, and you have a blast. And so the, there was like 15 people doing this, celebrating Rod, and I was looking over the table, thinking about this free agency thing, and then looking at this table of 15 mill people, and I was thinking, I don't know if anyone here makes 50 grand. I don't know, I don't think anyone at this table gets close to 50 grand a year. And they're in love with each other, and they love God, and they're laughing, and they're joyful, and they're having a blast, and they're growing in relationships, and... It's working. I was watching the kingdom of God right in front of me at Red Robin on Friday night. And then I'm thinking about these guys who are deciding whether they want to take $20 million a year or $25 million a year. And knowing what goes on to some extent in that world and knowing that it's, the money does not equal joy, it does not equal life, 
In fact, there's this guy, Latrell Sprewell. Anyone remember Latrell? Okay, Latrell Sprewell. Look that name up. He played in the NBA for 15 years. His last contract, he had the Minnesota Timberwolves offer him $21 million over three years. So $7 million a year. That's pretty darn good living. And he turned them down and he said, quote, I got kids to feed. $21 million over three years. $7 million a year. And, and said that that was a disgraceful contract offer. He's got kids to feed. No thanks. He turned them down. He never got another contract. And a year later, they foreclosed on his house and his yacht. He doesn't have anything. So money, money stuff, possessions, surrounding yourself with an airtight situation that's really comfortable is not enjoyment. It doesn't equal it. And it goes away. But you can be a young poor college kid and go to Red Robin and get bottomless fries and water and hang out with your friends and have total fulfillment in life, total joy, total connection with God and with His people. I thought Friday night was a beautiful picture of life in the kingdom of God. It's not necessarily about how much you have. It's about who you love and who's around you. A theology of enjoyment. God's design, let me say this, God's design is not us hating life, sucking it up, and proving our faithfulness. Yes, we do have to be faithful. And yes, there will be times of testing. But I do not think God's default is, man, I'm going to test and see how thick his skin is. I'm going to put it on him and see if he makes it. See if he can come out on the other side. And I'm going to stick it to him and really give him the 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 full treatment but maybe he'll make it maybe he won't if he doesn't then he's not worthy I don't think that's God I think God if he is truly our father which scripture talks about him as our father I don't think that way about Lillian and Wilson you know put him on the trampoline and just try to jump Wilson my little 10 month old who can barely hold his head up try to jump him out of the trampoline and see if he lands and makes it you know okay Wilson here we go Brace yourself. <laughs> Get out of here. You know. But we look at God that way sometimes. Right? I don't think that's our God. God's design is for us to love Him with all of our lives, with everything. And we end up really enjoying this. His design is not for us to brace ourselves and fight through on our own and and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and try to prove our worth to Him. That's not His design. His design is for us to just surrender our lives, lay them down, deny ourselves, and be faithful to Him. And this ends up in our enjoyment. Proverbs 15, 16, and 17 is a beautiful, beautiful little section in Proverbs 15. It says, Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth that comes with turmoil. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. Now, I'm not saying that great wealth has to equal turmoil. There's plenty of people who have great wealth and they're serving the Lord and they're vibrant with life and they're generous and they're, they're blessed. So I'm not, I'm not the, the ascetic over here saying, look, if you have a bunch of stuff, you're screwed and you're going to hell and you're a bad person. But I'm also not saying you have to have a lot of stuff to prove that God has blessed you. I'm saying that God blesses us and we learn how to live simply and we're fine. We're well. One of my favorite stories, Franciscan, I just read this uh, like six months ago. St. Francis of Assisi, right? 
So he had these guys follow him up who became the Franciscan monks who started these monasteries all over the world and they pray and they serve and they garden and they make wine and sell it and they, they, they pray like seven times a day and they eat meals together and they worship and they live very simple lives. And any time, they will take you in. If you're traveling through and you need a place to stay, as long as they have a room and they're not full, if you stop at a Franciscan monastery, they'll have you. They'll give you a bed for the night. And so they give orientation to everyone who comes in. Here's where you'll sleep, and here's brother so-and-so, and and here's brother so-and-so, and we'll have prayer at 2 in the morning, and then we'll have prayer at 5 in the morning, and we'll come get you. And I mean, you're expected to worship with them if you're going to stay with them. So they bring you into their life. So in that orientation, they say, look, if at any time during your stay with us you find that you need something, ask one of the brothers, and he'll tell you how to get along without it. I love that. Not he'll tell you how you can get it or he'll get it for you or he'll do whatever he can to make you comfortable. Ask one of the brothers and he will tell you how to get along without it. Not we're going to make you lay on a bed of nails and not we're going to give you a swanky presidential suite. But there's a, there's a middle ground. There's a way to enjoy life without having to have everything. And... Enjoying life doesn't mean you have to go without. Does that make sense? Here's a little aside. God does expect us to trust Him through hardship. He will help us. But He, he, he does. I mean, this is not something where life gets hard and we get to opt out and, and, and um, you know, negotiate a better contract with God. It, life's going to... That was Wilson out in the hallway. Did anyone hear that? That was crazy. Welcome to my life. It's beautiful. So, God does expect us to, to trust, trust Him through hardship. But it's not a, He's not a sadomasochistic God um, wanting to really damage us and see if we can make it. He's wanting to treat us like I try to treat Lillian and Wilson. Take care of them, meet their needs, feed them, love them, talk with them, spend time with them. He's a good father. So today we're defending the belief that as Christians, our holy God actually wants us to enjoy life. Let me read a few passages um, just to, to show you that this is all throughout Scripture. Psalm 68. You guys can... I'm going to blow through some of these. So Psalm 68, 1 through 3. It says, May God arise, may His enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him. As smoke is blown away by the wind, may you blow them away, God. As wax melts before the fire, may the wicked perish before God. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Psalmist is saying, God, kill your enemies. (laughs) Destroy them. Blow them away like smoke. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 3. It's right after Numbers. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised. God promised that if we will obey His decrees and commands and serve Him, He promises that we will enjoy long life in the land that He's given to us. Uh, we don't have to twist his arm to say, God, would you please bless me? God, would you please take care of me? God, would, would you please provide for me? This is his will. This is from the beginning what he's planned to do. Psalm 37, 1 through 11. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. 
Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. For evil men will be cut off. Get this. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, you will not find them. They will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. That sounds to me like a God who really, really wants us to enjoy life after serving Him, by serving Him. Psalm 36, 8. You give me drink from your river of delights. Psalm 16, 11. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. I will be glad and rejoice in you. Psalm 9, 2. Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is this. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. Our God appears to have a penchant for blessing. He appears to love to pour out His goodness. He appears to not hold back in dumping His peace, His love, His goodness, His joy on His people. There will be those who at first blush have a pretty convincing argument against everything that I've just said. Asceticism. They can pick this apart. They can, they can come at us with arguments that try to make us feel like everything we just read in Scripture is undone. It's not true. It's, it's too much. The false teachers in, in 1 Timothy 4 that we read up front probably had as their thesis anything physical or sensuous is bad. Sensuous is a word that sometimes people go, excuse me? Is that a dirty word? Sensuous actually means aesthetically pleasing, gratifying, rich, luxurious, sensorial. I would say that we live in sensuous environment here. I mean, it's, it's pleasing aesthetically. It's, it's rich. It's enjoyable. It's, it, you just look at it and go. This kind of thinking, this right over here, frowns on marriage, frowns on the enjoyment of food, it frowns on sex very often, it frowns on spending money on things that they would deem um, unimportant, like a family vacation. Why would you do that? I mean, there's, there's hungry children in the world. Why would you do that? That's totally wasteful. I don't think it, I don't think it has to be that extreme. I think for me to take my little kids to Breckenridge for the weekend and play for a couple days is great. And we serve and we give and we're generous and we, we look for people to bless. So I, think, I don't think it's either or. I think it can be both and. These people would say that enjoyment should be minimized in the name of God. Again, I think there's a difference between self-indulgence and receiving a gift with thankfulness. And what I'm talking about is a theology of enjoyment where we, we just look upward and say, thank you. And open our hands and receive what he's pouring out. Not, no, I have to prove that I love God by denying the gift that he's given us, the grace that he's given us, the, the generosity that he takes care of us with. Food with these people is condemned. And fasting is highly uh, uh, exalted. I think fasting's good. But, but, but in this camp, usually fasting is, is like you're, you are it. You, if you fast often, you are really proving that you're awesome. It's sort of a badge of honor, fasting. Jesus was confronted with this in Luke 5. Luke 5.33, they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But your disciples go on eating and drinking. What's the deal? And Jesus answered, Can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when they will, the bridegroom will be taken from them, 
in those days they will fast. So Jesus is not saying fasting is you throw it out. But he's saying there's a time to rejoice. There's a time to celebrate. There's a time to, when the bridegroom, when you're with the bridegroom, act like it. Enjoy. Receive. Partake. Food and marriage are the two things that we see in 1 Timothy 4 that are kind of talked down on. Relationships with people and enjoyment of God's earth. Let's just, let's kind of divide them into those two categories. Relationships with people, marriage, human to human, and then enjoyment of God's earth, food, the ground producing a, a harvest that we get to take in and thank God for, receive with thanksgiving. Flesh is bad, matter is evil. That's what these Gnostics were fighting for, is trying to get people to believe this. The Apostle Paul, the psalmist, Moses in Deuteronomy 6. All throughout Scripture, the people of God are saying, No, this is a gift from God directly to you. Receive it. I want to post a little, this is a side note, an announcement just right in here. This is free. It's interesting to me that money is not something that's talked about in, in this passage here in 1 Timothy 4 that we've been looking at. Money is not... He's talking about a good marriage, relationships, essentially, with people, and food. And I just think it's interesting to see what's not listed in this 1 Timothy 4 passage. He's not saying anything about money. But it doesn't mean that money's bad. You've got to have money to eat food, to enjoy. We all, we all had to have money, most likely, to get here today, whether it was gas or money to buy shoes to walk here. If you walked here, I, I'm going to guess you didn't walk here barefoot. Money was involved with all of us enjoying getting here this morning and being here. So I'm not saying throw money out the window, but Paul is not saying that money has to be a huge part of the mix for you to feel like God has blessed you. In, in fact, just a little bit later in 1 Timothy 6, two chapters later, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love that. Look, if you're rich, that's fine. But don't put your hope in wealth. Put your hope in God who's not uncertain, who won't go away. Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love that. He, Paul is not dancing around this and hinting at we should enjoy. He's saying God has richly provided us everything for our enjoyment. Put your hope in Him and receive the blessing that He's given you. Now, I understand that in all of this, someone could say, but listen, Daniel, I've had a hard life. I've had a really hard go. People, my parents were not good to me, or my circumstances have been terrible. Yes, that's true. And I do not downplay that one bit. My dad spent the whole month of June in here talking to you guys. And I think in that part, he, he shared his story of how he grew up. He basically had 19 years of heartache after heartache after hardship after... It was terrible. Parents fighting every night, beating each other to a pulp, blood and guts and taking hot irons and burning each other's skin and throwing dinner plates across as weapons and using forks and knives as... I mean, it, it was it was hand-to-hand -hand combat and Dad had to break it up as the only little boy. He was the only child and he was six, seven, eight years old dodging plates and keeping his parents off of each other or trying. And... They, it was just, it was miserable. And he'd cry himself to sleep most every night, he, he said, and just pray, God, would you please give me a, a, a family that loves God? Would you please just give me a happy family? Would you please just give me a happy family? Then his dad dies in an oil explosion when he's 15 years old. He was underground one night working for Amoco, who at that, at, it's now BP. He was working for BP. All nine of the men underground died. 
So my dad's 15 with his mom, who's really sick with a brain tumor. And his dad is all of a sudden dead. Then four years later, his mom, at 19, dies of a brain tumor. He's left alone with a really sad upbringing. And now both of his parents, who he did love, are gone. And it was just 19 years of heartache and, and crud. And you know, the last 34 years, he's 53... The last 34 years have been dominated by the peace of God, the blessing of God, the joy of the Holy Spirit, a happy family who he, he now has seven grandbabies in four years. Um, it, it, dysfunction does not have to define the believer's life, and it won't. Dysfunction will be a part of all of our lives to some extent. This is a broken fallen world and we are experiencing new creation but it's not full yet it's happening it's it's becoming full but we aren't is this isn't the end yet one day it will be where there is no more tears and no more suffering and no more pain and the new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god and it's it, it will happen one day but this is not that day it hasn't happened yet so there will be dysfunction there will be heartache there will be brokenness there will be stuff that we really hate about our lives. But dysfunction and hurt will not be the defining element in a believer's life. Joy and peace and enjoyment and blessing will be what defines us. So if you have experienced the hurt and the heartache and the brokenness and stuff like I just described to you in my dad's story, I'm, I hate that. And God hates that. And that was not his plan. And still, it will not be the defining element of your life. It, that won't be what continues on for the rest of your life. God has blessing for you. He has designed it so that you enjoy life. So that you drink from His river of delights, as the psalmist says. I want to close with this and then we'll open it up for, for some discussion. First Timothy 4, again, this is the same passage we opened with. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Are we good? A theology of enjoyment. Theology that God has blessed us and He wants us to be blessed. It may not look like what some people say that blessing looks like. We may not get a whole heck of a lot richer. But there is a blessing that we can live in that transcends the circumstances that are going on around us. And we don't have to act like God doesn't want us to be well and to enjoy the gifts that He's given us. Let's fall in the middle. Let's have a good theology of enjoyment. Alright, I want to open it up for some questions. It's 1027, so we're early. Um, we've got some microphones back here. Um, so does anyone want to... Oh, Aaron Higgins right here. Does anyone want to say anything... Uh, ask any questions, make a comment. Right here. Yes, sir. Hi. <clears throat> okay, so according to the... Uh, how about that? Is that yeah. good? Okay. Uh, the theology of enjoyment. Um, how would you say you, yeah, you, you monitor your internal our processes um, for making sure that you're not overindulgent and yet uh, enjoying properly, you know, not living like a robot trying sure. to figure out, you know, here been, or there. But. That's a brilliant question. Uh, how, do you, how do you monitor to make sure you aren't overindulging? How do you know, how do you know that you aren't living it up too much, <laughs> basically? Um, I think sometimes that I, a red flag comes up for me when I don't, when I'm not really praying for my food, or when I'm praying just kind of habitually, and because what he's saying is he's richly provided it for our enjoyment, 
We, sh- we should receive it. When I pray, do I think, Dear God, thank you for this food. Blessed to my body, amen. Well, the point of the food is not blessing it to your body. The point of the food is saying, God, thank you for producing an earth that produces food that I can eat. Thank you that I'm not starving today. You, you created a system, and it's very detailed, and you made it so that I could enjoy this. Thank you for this, God. And really a prayer of thanksgiving. Not a prayer of, gosh, we've got to pray before we can eat. Hurry. But a prayer of saying, God, and, and, and I'm doing this with my kids right now. Lillian doesn't really know what's going on, but she knows we pray. And usually my prayers are like this. Jesus! You know, and I'll just yell, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that we get to eat good food. You made this for us. And we're, we're sitting here tonight saying, thanks, this is a blessing from you. We don't take it lightly. And there's people who don't have this. We pray that you'd be with them, God, and that you'd provide for them. And, and we just want to say thank you before we receive this food. It's from you, and we are grateful. Um, when my heart is thankful like that, I tend, I, I, I think I'm not overindulging. When I'm praying habitually and just racing through a prayer and consuming this food because I feel like I have the right, because I'm entitled to this food, that's a whole different attitude. Um, so, I don't know. I think that applies with marriage too. How do I see Lisa? Do I see her as um, my possession, as my, uh, the one that I get? Or do I see her as a gift from God that for the rest of my life I'm going to have one woman. We're going to live in the same house and she's, I'm totally hers and she's totally mine and we, we're, we're connected with God. We see Him, we know Him, we know His love more through each other. And I, God, I just want to say thank you for this precious girl, Lisa. So that's a whole different attitude between, you know, we're married and we wear rings and we get to have sex occasionally. You know, that's, that's a whole different story. Are you grateful? Are you receiving it as a gift from God or are you receiving it as I'm entitled to this or it's just kind of there? Yeah. Okay. So it's all well and good to say that um, you keep an eye out for it, but seeing as you're practiced in your second generation Christian practice, you've got it in your heart. What would you say would be the best... um, practice for people who are trying to become better, to try and get to this point where they can monitor for themselves and not Mm -hmm. be tricked quite so easily um, into self-indulgent behavior. Uh, What would you say would be good habits or practices or whatever you would say to bury this into your heart um, so that one can get to that point and see it for themselves? Yeah, And, and I'd like to open it up too, if anyone wants to chime in on this. Just real quickly, I would say prayer. Another thing would be fasting, abstaining from things, denying yourself occasionally, because when you don't have it, you're all the more grateful for it. Um, So the Apostle Paul said, look, do stay away from it for a time, uh, talking about marital relations, being married. He's saying, look, don't, don't stay apart long, but when you do, do it because you've committed to pray and to fast and to seek the Lord. But even then, come back to each other quickly or else the devil will tempt you. So he's saying creating this negative space where it's not there actually, I think, engenders gratefulness. So, what's that? Making, creating the space, negative space, I'd call it, where it's not there. You know, when you don't have food, your body's telling you about it. And when you come back to food after fasting, don't rush into it and gorge yourself. Go slow and and receive it with gratefulness. So I'd, I'd really like to open it up. He's asking, how do you create space and make sure that you aren't overindulging? How do you know if you aren't overindulging? Oh, um, I work at uh, not one Taco Bell, not two Taco Bells, but three Taco Bells. And, and I've noticed uh, I've got lots of compliments and comments and impacting managers and employees and customers and you old Taco Bell. Yes, I worked till 1.30 in the morning last night. Nice. Uh, don't inhale the grease. Um, so anyways, no, that's okay. Taco Bell's good. Okay, anyways, my, uh, my comment is that by us living and having the, the peace of knowing that we're in right standing with God 
and unconditionally loved on a consistent basis outside of our unearned actions, just meditating on 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 God's love for us, like in in just, you know, and in staying within those boundaries, you know, I think the byproduct of knowing that is going to like like we're going to really uh be a blessing to others. So I think it really um the 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 good balance is what will really bless other people yeah. like our perspective on this like mm-hmm. so not okay. not being too this way but just impacting people's lives yeah. other people that's good so I see. it's the philippians 2 thing um, jesus came and though he was god did not consider equality with god something to fight for but instead he made himself of no reputation and took on the role of a servant became obedient unto death even death on a cross and therefore god was god was exalted jesus was exalted and god received glory i think it's if you can continually think of yourself as a servant and take on the attitude that christ jesus had philippians 2 that i'm not this this life is not about me this life is about glorifying god and it will glorify god if i bring enjoyment to others so as you're serving others you're, you're serving God and you're glorifying God and making someone else's life better. So I think, it, it, I think it's pretty easy to find out if you're self-indulging by how you treat other people. You know? So who else? Yes, sir. I was just going to say, um, one thing that's really helped me and I think is really important as a believer is making sure that you have people around you who are also solid and, yeah. and who can look at you, like whether it's peer-to-peer or, um, which is very, very important, but also people above you who are wiser and older and who have walked through a little bit more of life, who can look at you and be like, hey, right now, like, what you're doing is, is more selfish than it is to bring glory to God, mm. and who can see that. And so that's important to make sure that they know, uh, A, you know, what it looks like to walk with the Lord, and B, they, that they know you as well, and that you're, you're genuine with them. But having that uh, accountability, I think, from other believers who... Like you were saying earlier, is, uh, or a blessing from God, like they, they relationships are a blessing, um, that's and that's something that we need to take advantage of. I think as believers, to making sure that we're using that and going to other people and, and, that, and that sitting down, and like you said, late night conversations on the couch yeah. or whatever it may be, um, that that's going to help. Uh, that's going to help you stay focused more on what God has for you as opposed to what you have for yourself. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, I asked Lisa last night. What, what he's saying is ask people. They will tell you if you're self-indulgent, if you're a jerk, if you're mean. So I asked Lisa last night, what can I be doing right now? Because she is, that girl is working hard with Lillian and Wilson all day, every day at home. She works ten times harder than I work. And, and I work hard. And so I, I, after we got the kids down, we're laying on the trampoline. I said, how can I help you more as a dad, as your husband, as their dad? What can I do and she said, you know, she gave me some, put the phone away. When you're home, put the phone away. That's exactly what I was looking for. If I'm looking at my phone and looking at texts or whatever, I'm not playing with the kids, <laughs> which means she is. So one of the ways that I find out how well I'm doing or not doing is by saying, Lisa, green light, tell me. And so that's a great, great input. Who else? Any concerns with this? Yes, Vanessa. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That's great. Nine kids, your mom. The, the oldest of nine right here. Her mom is working way harder than Lisa. <laughs> That's good. Thank you, Vanessa. Anyone else? Joe? You want to come, come wrap it up? Yeah. Thank you guys for, for your time today. And Yeah, Daniel did a great job. Dan, usually when you say someone is a realist, it usually means they're a 
like a pessimist. Oh, you're just such a realist. But I think Daniel's one of the only realist optimists that I know. It's <laughs> really you. cool. Thank you. That's guy. a compliment. Yeah, let's let's pray to close. God, we do thank you for this lesson. God, we we ask that you open our hearts to receive your enjoyment, God, and to know the difference between indulging, overindulging, or or to, or just trying to be an ascetic. God, we want to fall in this in this ground where we enjoy what you have given us. So, God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for Sunday school and for independence and for, for the beauty of this day. And it's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody, you're dismissed. We'll see you next week.